You're listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Bringing you the latest news, views, and abuse, Earful of Dirt is the only podcast dedicated to Major League Rugby. Now, coming to you live from across the United States, here's your hosts. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. I'm Aaron Castro. Uh, I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Victor Perez in New York, Josh Fredland, content editor for EarfulofDirt.com, and our producer, Corey Munson in Iowa. You know, so hit him up, hashtag EODpod, and in the comments on YouTube. Uh, how's everyone's week been going? Awesome action coming from MLR this week, guys. We'll talk about it in a moment. Yeah, a lot of fun Sunday, especially. Uh, Sunday night was... Uh, I was pretty amped. I had a hard time going to bed that night. Let's put it that way. Really? Impressive. <laughs> nothing nothing from the silent... Um, yeah, Josh was good. Oh. No, none. Oh. None. Ah, I gotcha. So, for those new to the podcast, each Monday night, we come... We conjugate uh, to discuss news and rumors from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union competition. It's a chance to discuss the issues, hear from the league, team leadership, and check in with our friends across U.S. rugby scene. Um, so, if anyone has a review, uh, if you want to give us five stars, please do. It helps out the show. As per usual, you know the drill. Um, and I think we may have some merch to give out to the next five-star review. I don't know, but we will try. So what do we got this week, Josh? Uh, we, week four of Major League Rugby brought a big win for the Utah Warriors, a very tight game for the Seattle Seawolves, and an even tighter game between the, uh, the Condo Raptors and the San Diego Legion. We got new signings, week five predictions, Eagles news, and more. So let's get to it. Utah, 41-22 over Austin. Um, so it's, there's a little bit of regression here. Uh, you know, the the Warriors continue to show improvement, but, uh, you know, Austin kind of laid an egg on the road, to be honest. I don't know about you guys, but I had um, Austin versus Glendale Raptor flashbacks while watching this game. Yeah, it, it was sort of uh, – well, no, it wasn't that dominating, but the scoreline was, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I saw, you know, more efficient attack from Austin again, but what they did not have was this this wonderful word. What is the word I'm looking for? Anyone, anyone got a word I'm looking for? Starts with a D? Starts with a D. Is it defense? Defense. Defense. <laughs> I just want to say that Josh and I said it in unison. We did not plan that. That was just really cool, Josh. <laughs> so Austin's defense is like a, you know, is like a, is like a sieve. You know, things are just coming in left and right. It's just, uh, you know, I, I wonder really what's going on in that in, you know, in the film room. Are they just, are they laying each other out? Or they'd be like, dude, you missed this assignment. Um, you know. They just 
gave away too many opportunities and just didn't get it done. Mm. And just to break it down from the beginning, guys, um, so kickoff starts. Austin is, is, is on defense. And I blanking exactly what happened, but the thing is that the cost of penalty kick for, for Utah. So Utah goes and takes a kick. I believe Kurt, Kurt Morath made it. And on top of the game was kind of messy because of the wet conditions on the field. And speaking of Kurt Morath, uh, he did some <laughs> some really nice setups for both uh, Jerry Whippy and um, Paul Asik to score tries. So that, that was quite nice. And for a while, the, the Warriors were in the driver's seat of that match. And then all of a sudden, the Ciroc right there by the Ingall line, uh, that is Austin attacking the the Warriors uh, Ingall uh, line. And um, Mark, Marcus Walsh, their scrum half is about to pass. Just a fake up, boom, 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 and scores a try. Look really nice, I have to say. Um, then, again, Warriors are still in the lead. Comes the second half. And <laughs> the funniest thing is that the, the commentators are talking about the fact that um, Hanko Hemersheis was a, a non-equation in, in the first half. So they say that Anderson Nula comes in, breaks the, the breaks the line, the game line, sets up Hankel, scores. As soon as the finish mentioning that comment, he scores. <laughs> Which I find really funny. I don't really have issues with Hanko's performance. He's just all over the place all the time. I mean, he was his work rate in the first half when it came to defense was was pretty much there. Uh, on offense, I wouldn't say things were created for him. Because and he usually creates his own, but they just I don't know they just they just weren't being efficient and I you know you had sort of you know individual brilliance again and you know last week I want to say the individual brilliance sort of stopped uh, their attack worked really well and whereas this time you know who's the person with individual brilliance it was Marcus Walsh right uh, you know snuck in. Uh, off a rock uh, for a try and, you know, then was able to grab Ned Hodson's uh, chip kick. So, but, man, I, I really feel bad for the Whippy brothers, uh, you know, two two weeks and uh, same injury, like both compound fractures. That is insane. Yeah, and not only that... <laughs> Definitely suck to see that. I just you guys broke up for me for a moment. I don't know if it was me. <laughs> no, what I was gonna say now, not only that, they they got the exact same um injury. I don't think I don't know if it's the same um ah, I forgot the name of that the injury they got in the leg. It's a compound so, compound I, fracture. Compound fracture, thank you, Aaron. That's exactly right. So and they're already twins. So now they have the same injury. I mean, two weeks apart, two or three weeks apart, but still, same injury. It, it, now it would be "quote unquote" funny if it was in the same leg, but, but I don't know if it is. I don't. I don't think it's the same leg, but that would. It's not funny. That would be just insane. Like two weeks apart, same, <laughs> same exact injury. Wow. I mean, that's and then why if I put it was on the same leg. It would be brutal. Yeah. And what was some funny? I know. The coincidence of them being brothers and twins on top. 
is it, it, was, uh, it was nice to see that killer instinct from Utah. So, um, so we got a question from Liam: Is Walsh going back to Rooney next year? And the and the reality is, is yes. Um, but uh, he's not the only one that's going back to Rooney. Uh, you have Dylan Fawcett, who is also on loan, Ross Deacon and Mike Brown, who are on loan for uh, uh, from Rooney. Um, and they all have to go back. Whereas the guys in San Diego, that's way different. They're fully contracted to the Legion. They do not belong to New York. They're not on loan. Uh, so if New York, if Rooney wants any of those guys to come to New York, they're either going to have to pick them up because they got cut or they're going to have to trade for them. That's the reality right now, as I understand it. Um, because there is no free agency, right? No free agency, which I, I think is kind of sucks for at the beginning, but at the same time, I understand it. Well, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. It's kind of brutal, but it is what it is. Um, you know, Really, you know, we talked about individual brilliance for Austin, but that's really, that's really all that uh, Utah has as well. Uh, I, I don't. I'm watching their game, and when they're on the attack, they're they're not really running and running a shape, and not so much like the like Sea Wolves don't necessarily run a shape. Um, sea Wolves run a, they run an attack. Like it's a mm -hmm. uh, bi-level pod system, so it is relatively complicated. But it it looks to me that you know I don't know what kind of attack that Utah is doing other than get the ball to Lasique and Vinicola to let them run. You know so that that seemed like the strategy because whenever Vinicola gets the ball, he's just well, one minute he's on one side of the field, two seconds later he's on the other side. So, but um, to move forward, uh, this match was the craziness here. Uh, you know, Seattle wins in a nail biter, uh, thirty-one to twenty-nine against Nola. It's a very tight match, uh, but I, I really think, and my my conversations with Coach Osborne today really, uh, you know, sort of hammered in that point is like they blew an opportunity. Uh, he said the boys knew it, and but he was uh, relatively happy with their performance in the last quarter, how they were able to fight back, and they weren't playing flat, uh, you know, when the Seawolves stepped on their neck. They came back, and they were trying. They were close. Uh, if, you know, not for a few errors, they, you know, they had a shot. Yeah, it definitely, definitely helped. Nola needs to find a damn kicker. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that was pretty rough, right? Uh, and the word on the street is that there is a well-known professional midfielder, although I have perused Instagram, and I cannot find a face that I recognize that is hanging out in Nola. So if someone just wants to throw a throw a leaflet in the transom for me to look up, I will gladly do so. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see anything either. Yeah, so uh, it looks like Victor 
is having some technical difficulties like you guys mentioned, but he did have some notes here, so I might just uh, kind of go through here real quick and uh, talk a little bit about the game. Um, I watched the game as well, but I didn't uh, take any good notes, so I'll just kind of go off what he was talking about. Uh, Victor noted that uh, there was definitely some handling errors, um, and which didn't allow Nola to score early. Uh, Ratu, Ratu Rinakama. Ritakama scores after scrum penalty, so that was a good play. Um, and he also noted that uh, Matt Turner and Matt, Matthew Turner and Matt Houston uh, put their names in the on the score sheet, and so that was really impressive. Um, and I think his conclusion was basically that Nola should have won the game uh, had things been different. I, I what do you think of that? I mean, they were in position to, right? Uh, they had the the advantage in the first half. They just didn't they, – they missed kicks, and they didn't convert uh, their other opportunities towards points. They just – you know, the handling errors seemed to plague everyone uh, on the day, except that, you know, when you – when you had the ability to score like 20 – like 21 uh, or – possibly even 24 points uh, and you somehow let the opposition you know get within <laughs> get within five because they're it's like 15 10 at the half right and it's like what the heck is going on here and you know they came out and Willie Rosaleka 42 minutes in, Puts a try in uh, off the try assist from Shalom Sunil. Uh, so Liam asks, uh, you know, question, do you think Utah stays in the running for top four? Uh, or do you think a team like Houston or Nola is more likely to ascend? Uh, you know, I like Houston and Nola because they have the structure. Um, they have the coaching necessary to get there. Uh, I just don't see Utah's current attack good enough to sustain them against a good team. Uh, so I think, you know, if the next time they play San Diego or the next time they play U uh, Seattle or the next time they play Glendale, I think they're going to get crunched. That's what I think. Uh, you know, individual – Talent only gets you so far, you know, whereas it's everything's built around the team with Houston and Nola. And just to drag on to that team point, it was nice to see Seattle kind of break away from it and go with individual brilliance because this was the, even though they've only played three matches, this was their first match with more than two tries that came from players and not by way of penalty try. Oh yeah, I mean they were I think the their their pod system will facilitate more individual brilliance than you know the attacks that New Orleans and uh you know Houston are running. But if if Houston and New Orleans cycle the ball fast enough to their backs, it's it's not going to matter because you're going to get that individual brilliance anyways that's coming off of, you know, good face play, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas the, the situational difference with 
with Seattle is if your scrum half is off, you're kind of screwed, right? Which we've seen. Same with your fly half for <laughs> Taylor Howden. Oh, how well, about how? Taylor Howden was playing center, and I think that was a bad decision for me uh, because, A, he's really not a kicking fly half, and, you know, old Silver Fox, uh, well, his defense just ain't there. So if you're going to if, if you're gonna be a liability on defense, you need to play fly half and not center where you're supposed to freaking truck people. So how much of that yellow card was frustration on his part? Um, I would have given him a red, uh, because you just don't need that. Right. Cause like the ball was gone and yeah. he could have literally, he had, he had enough time to like stop himself dead and he would have probably still hit, you know, but it wouldn't have been what it was, which was a cheap shot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's my opinion. And so I think Corbier was kind of being nice and let's just get out of here. Yeah, probably. So I guess one one last piece of news from this. I'm sorry if I'm taking this from you, Corey. John Goodman showed up. Dude. That's awesome. How awesome was that? I like I wish that uh that TV spot that went out locally went out nationally because it's like <laughs> that was awesome, right? Because I was like John. I was like John Goodman played rugby, so John Goodman's apparently like a NORFC old boy, and like no one's been like talked. To, no one's really ever talked about that. And he lives in New Orleans uh, when he's not shooting and stuff. And that was pretty dope. I I I'm, I I want that to get written into Roseanne. I want them. To talk, <laughs> I want them to talk about the MLR in Roseanne. And I don't. And I'm not talking about paying for anything i'm talking about john goodman as a fan going to the writers and be like let's go to a rugby match in the show (laughs) just have him show up at a lions match roseanne goes to british and irish lions (laughs) or the chicago lions that's more what i had in mind but hey whatever well i i haven't watched the show currently so it's in chicago well that shows you my pop culture right now you know, uh, one thing, one more thing, I think, um, just because I know people are going to talk about it, is uh, the, the field conditions. Uh, it seemed a little little rough, a little uh, patchy at times. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, so prior to the stands going in, the pitch was fine. Like, I have a picture of it on my phone. It looks fucking nice. And then they had to bring in some like cranes and stuff. And I think they had to tear out some turf because it got ruined when they had to install the stands. So, I mean, it, it, that pitch was never designed as a football only pitch. It went, they raised the pitch. It used, they raised the field uh, by raised. I mean, they tore it out. It used to be a practice football field with a dirt track uh, for their, for the Shaw high school track team to practice on. And they yanked the whole thing out. And then they put, you know, they seeded the field, put on new sod. And it was nice before they had to put the stands in. And I think then, you know, they had some issues with the construction, um, which we saw, of course, you know, with the sand lines in the preseason. And then we saw this time. And I just think they had to put in new turf and 
it's when it fields get used a lot, um, it kind of sucks, you know? Yeah, but uh, once, you know, kind of similar to what we've seen at some of the other uh, teams, I was really impressed with the fan engagement. I mean, they've got their own pep band. Uh, that was that was just delightful. So and and they 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 wrote songs. They wrote songs. <laughs> um, and the uh, I have the song sheet. It's not the whole thing. Let me look this up. So That's let me jump in. Cool. Let me jump in real quick with it. Yeah. Um, so if we get a battle of the bands between Nola and Glendale, who wins? Nola and Glendale? What are you talking about? The Mile Highlanders. <laughs> well, so so that's different, right? Well, we can talk about that. Because there's two sets of pipers, right? And I said this on Twitter. I was like, the next time the Warriors and the uh, the Raptors face each other, they need to have a like dueling pipe bands. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, I'm loving the band uh, for NOLA. It was pretty awesome. And apparently they led cheers and it was great. So the whole sheet is called Keep Calm and Carry On. Calm with a K. (laughs) Uh, So the first one is sung to Achy Breaky Heart. It's uh, called the Matt Houston song. It's like, he's got a stash. He's got a mullet. I just don't think you understand. He's going to get her done. His name is Matt Houston. We've got a heartbreaker number seven. Um, wait, so, wait, are they are they rhyming "get it done" with Houston? So it would be "house don." I I don't know. It's just sung <laughs> to "achy break yard." Um. Then you've got the Taylor Howden song. He makes it look easy because he's a Kiwi. <laughs> and then, um, obviously, know when to hold them from. Kenny Rogers, right? So for Holden Younger, and it didn't go further down. I need to get someone else to give me a full picture. It's like, you got to know when to hold him, know when to run. <laughs> so, but, um, so that, that's, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Anything you can do to get that local engagement, I mean, all day long, that's just going to build your fan base. So good on them. So um, let's move on uh, and cover uh, what I consider the match of the week. Uh, the, the intensity of this game was crazy. And maybe that was the weather conditions, right? Because. Um, and what game was it? Glendale versus Glendale sword over San Diego. Uh, 31 to 27 Glendale Raptors defeat San Diego. So it was a heck of a game, heck of a match. Who wants to go first on this one? Aaron, I think you had some thoughts. So, you know, um, as everyone knows, I think Nate Augsburger is a wing and it looks like San Diego figured that out because <laughs> Nick Boyer started at scrum half and boy, was he, he was awesome. So Nick stands around like six, two, six, three. So he's a lot, he's a different, Different type of player, right? Different animal uh, than Nate Alexander, who's about 5'8". Um, both are very uh, are hyper-athletic uh, when it comes to, you know, how fast they are, how what they can, like, fit through. And, you know, they can – you 
Nick went like was able to quick carry off the ruck and just gain meters all the time. His his ball speed was great, and his abilities in the de- in defense were awesome. And I guess uh, Brian Ray said something about that. Hey, when your uh, scrum half is a loose forward, uh, that works out for you quite well. <laughs> so, yeah, or or when your eight tries to play scrum half too. <laughs> well, there's that, you know. But uh, so, what do you guys think of this game? I, I thought it was good. I think it showed that San Diego is consistently getting better week to week. Um, those uh, forward training sessions with Alex Corbacero definitely started to pay off. Um, it was nice to see them push Glendale, but I, th- I think that's going to happen the rest of the season. Uh, Glendale is going to get pushed, but I think they're going to have the skill to overcome that, even if they're not training as much as we think they are. Um, that Glendale is leaving too much to chance, I think. Um, they they kind of need to pu- push the tempo more, but they also need to hold on to the ball. Yeah, I so you know looking at watching the Glendale game again, you know I I think Dave is you know going to be a great co- is a great coach right now and is going to be you know up there for a long time, but. You know, I've discussed, you know, why, what I think about, like, how they train, and I think they need to add more sessions when it comes to team runs and all that stuff. But when I look at this match, it's, it's, shown, it's shown a tremendous improvement from San Diego, which we talked about. But it also showed that, you know, Glendale isn't doing the things that I've expected them to do, right? And uh, Bryce Campbell one of my favorite players. He couldn't catch a good pass, but he could catch ducks all day. Like if they were bad, if they were just garbage and you know, they were going into the ground, he was able to catch those, but the good ones he knocked on. Yeah. Uh, like that was a problem. Um, if you look at the rest of their backs um, overall, they didn't cycle the ball enough to the backs. They were able to run relatively well off their pods, but they didn't get the balls to the playmakers. And, you know, I think if they ran more of their pods, they would have been more dominant than they were to an extent because they weren't dominant up front uh, for most of that period. But if they had just played in the center of the field, um, we would have seen sort of a different game. And when when you're on grass, you can play that way. Well, I I think part of that is um, I was there when – Coach Williams gave his post-game speech or post-game press conference, and he said that they ex- he expected the Legion to play a wider, more free-flowing type of game. And the fact that they didn't, I, I think, influenced that, and they didn't make the adjustments to it. Well, um, yeah, there were some pieces that I that you just didn't see from like the last week. The, their backs didn't see like play with the ball that much, right? Uh, and they they went to a forward centered game. All their tries came off a mall, right? Mm-hmm. You had you know Sione to Yalamaka first try, then pa- like straight through, right? Is that right? Yeah. So one, two, three were their tries. Sione to Yalamaka, Pat Blair, and then Dolph Botha, all with their tries, and they all came off the mall. But also. Every team in the league needs to stop doing this because I've seen this way too often. 
contest the line out against San Diego. If you don't, you will pay, which that happened three times against San Diego. One of those times, they got a try. The other time, they were very – the last time, they were very close, and this game would have been a victory for San Diego at the end of the game. Well, one of the tries I was – I remember sitting across the field. They were trying not to engage, but the ref didn't call it. They were literally sitting back, and the ref didn't call anything. So, so I, I was uh, – as far as this game goes, I was really impressed – with um, their ability to scrum and maul. And I thought uh, that was a very uh, encouraging and surprising part from San Diego. I also think that um, we're really seeing, I I think this showed us that Glendale's not uh, undefeatable. They're not invincible. Uh, Of course, nobody's beat them yet. Uh, But Liam uh, sent in a comment just a minute ago saying for the last three weeks, uh, Glendale has been kept scoreless through the first 10 minutes. Glendale has cracks in their armor that are starting to show. And I think that's true. Um, that being said, they've kind of, you know, had some of the toughest competition, especially the last two weeks that I think they're going to experience this season. I think. So that sort of fed into my point about, um, you know, their training, you know, they're bringing in all these new guys that haven't been in the system. Like, what was it? If you look at the roster, I just saw some new people, right? Um, and that haven't been in the Merlins or Raptor system. So the only the way to get them on the same page is for you to be practicing like the max amount of time you can practice, right? Um, they need to be on the same to get them on the same sheet of music. They need to be doing more and more. And that's where, you know, I think the cracks are. It's not the talent. It's the, it's the new guys not being at the same plot, same place. And it is starting to show for me. And, like, I mean, we, I think we've talked about this. My expectations for Glendale were pretty much to beat everyone by double digits. And most of the, people, most of the teams probably by 15 to 20. And they've, you know, squeaked out. Uh, away against Utah and then squeaked out this one against San Diego. But credit to San Diego scrummaging. The scrummaging improved sort of overnight when Dolph both of them got healthy. I think he's gotten in shape and now he's back from injury. He's ready to go. And then add in the, I think the scrummaging sessions with Corbs definitely, uh, helped with uh especially Sione. But the big thing for me is I, I don't think Coach Hodes needs to uh bring out his uh you know front row so soon because Botha and Tuyalamaka were were fine. Their fitness was good to go. So very fun game and uh just an, another really exciting match for MLR. I think this is the kind of thing that makes for great TV. This makes for great viewership and uh, uh, it's uh, great for the first season. So I'm, I'm glad it, that there hasn't been the blowouts that we were expecting from Glendale. That's really encouraging actually. So, and then everybody else, I think for the most part, we have 
a very well distributed middle section of the league uh, kind of fighting for those second, third, fourth, fifth spots. And then we got kind of a one or two down right at the bottom. So uh, it's really encouraging for the first season for me. I think uh, I'm very impressed with the distribution of talent across the league. So we're seeing a lot of good stuff. Welcome back, Victor. We're happy to have you. Thank you, guys. Again, sorry for the technical difficulties. I had to reboot the whole thing, and it took forever. So, But thank you for taking over. <laughs> no problem. Did you have any uh, final thoughts on the uh, Glendale game before we uh, move on? Well, um, did you guys already mention the, the beautiful try by the Archibald? I don't think so. Okay, well, I'm talking about the that sublime footwork that he did for him to score the first try. I believe that that was the first try for, by by Glendale, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, yeah. I, I, the, the try <laughs> I liked the most was Seth Holloman basically tiptoeing that, along the touchline and avoiding yeah, like okay. four tackles somehow in the okay. second half. That was the one I thought was like the best. Uh, that was the try of the week from MLR actually. Really? So, okay. Yeah. Uh, but um. You know, moving on, uh, what do we have? So MLR Player of the Week was Marcus Walsh, scrum half from Austin Elite. Uh, he had two tries and a try-saving tackle. That kept AER in the game. And then the EOD Play of the Week is a try that uh, old school Victor just talked about, which was Maximo de Ashenval. Uh, you know, he uh, did some tango uh, with <laughs> with the Legion. I think he just like went up and like zoomed, and he 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 may have done a spin move. I don't I don't I don't know. But there were like four dudes that were within that could have touched each other's arms that let him like skitter in between and score a try. So. <laughs> So I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you guys, those were tango skills that he picked up when he was living in Buenos Aires before he went back to the States. Um, so what is everyone's game of the week? Okay, I'll, I'll take that one first. Um, Raptor, Raptors Legion, I mean, that thing was gorgeous. I mean, that was a battle where the team that made the least errors was going to win. Unfortunately, SDL, San Diego Legion, uh, it, it was that team, so... It was really sad. They, they could definitely have taken it that game uh, at the death, but it wasn't meant to be. Um, what do you got, Josh? I actually went with Utah and Austin. It was nice to see that kind of killer instinct from Utah. They liked the Legion. They progressed. but um, And they showed a little bit versus Glendale, and it was nice to see them take that next step forward. What about you, Corey? I get my button unstuck there. Yeah. Uh, I went with the Glendale Legion match as well. Uh, for me, it was the most exciting game of the weekend. I found myself on my feet at the end of the match, just kind of rubbing my head and worried about what was going to happen. I, you know, I, I've purposefully stayed uncommitted this season to any particular team, uh, trying to be very supportive of all teams in the entire league. Um, but I was kind of pulling for San Diego uh, that night, just because, you know, I love an underdog story and I love, uh, when the guy who's not supposed to win wins. So as, uh, I was definitely hoping for a miracle there, uh, in that last phase and, and of course nothing came of it, but, uh, that was, 
boy, I had a hard time winding down Sunday night, and that wasn't great for getting up for work on Monday morning. So really enjoyed that one a lot. So for me, I I just loved the pace of that game. It was the quality. I mean, it wasn't even, hey, there were a lot of errors or anything. The pace of play, the quickness, it was it was legit. Like holy hell. Whereas I think the humidity slowed everyone down in New Orleans. And I think it really affected the scrummaging. For some reason, the humidity is affecting scrums. I have no idea why. Someone needs to tell me what the deal is with that. Uh, But pace of play, skills that were on display, everything. It was all good for me uh, this weekend when it came to San Diego Legion and uh, the Glendale Raptors. I think if that is the standard, if that becomes the standard across the league... We're in good hands. We're we're fine. Mm-hmm. Like we will develop players and we will be ready to go and but there was only one the issue is that there was only one game like that this weekend. And that's pretty much where we've been at is one game that stands above the other two. But this one, this one set the standard for me throughout the league. I think um, one thing we should, I probably should have mentioned it earlier as well, uh, that was really troubling to me over the weekend was the unforced errors, just the problems with ball handling. I swear somebody buttered up those balls before every single game. I'm not sure what's going on with that. So do you think that is something related to just the newness of the players the weekend, week out? Or do you think it's just an unusual uh, weather conditions. What are your guys' thoughts on that one? You know what? I definitely agree with Corey, because, and uh, and I'll tell you why. I was watching, and by the way, if you haven't, I recommend you do. I was watching the um, Champions Cup final, which was um, Leinster Rugby from Ireland versus Racing 92. Talk about the most boring game. I know, yeah. right? No, but no, no. But in in terms of handling skills, not the what happened at the game itself, but you can oh, see the, the difference the game between was good. like they were. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it was cool. yeah, but uh, but uh, but again, going back with the handling skills, uh, you could see the difference between that game and all these past three MLR games. Of course, I do agree that the Glendale Legion game was <laughs> leagues better in terms of action than the Champions Cup game that happened down in Bilbao in, in the Basque country in Spain. But in terms of the the, the skill set of, of those players in comparison to the ones, like, say, Glendale, uh, uh, Glendale Legion in terms of handling and the like, you see the difference. You could definitely see the difference. So, I mean, there's that. But I think when it comes to weather and all that stuff, we, we've talked about altitude and how it's going to affect players, uh, you know, going to Denver. Uh, it will affect players too in, in Salt Lake because that's just about just as high. I think Salt Lake's probably about 500 feet less. But San Diego didn't lose the game because uh, altitude. Altitude was not a problem for them. So that says their training has been on point. Like they're getting run at high intensities uh, in San Diego where they're at sea level, right? But, uh, y- you know, 
these players haven't been asked to play at this level of fitness ever for the most part. Yeah, you know, we've got some, you know, sevens players uh, from the national team from Fiji, and we've got some, you know, former professionals from across Europe, but I would say 80% of these rosters, 80 to 90% of these rosters haven't been asked to play at this level of intensity, this level of fitness, and this, you know, physicalities, which is why you're seeing all the errors. It's because you're seeing all the all the big fish in the small pond have to swim in a school of fish and not get eaten by a shark, right? That's the difference. So the errors will clean up, but it's going to be ugly, to be honest. I understand the point you're trying to make, Aaron, and I, and I agree. I agree. Obviously, as the as the seasons go by, and the more the, the more co- the cohesion there is between the players, as the seasons go by, I'm sure we'll see that less and less. At least my hope that is. So, um, so yeah, no, I was just gonna say, um, I I think there's also something to be said for the teams attempting to put on an exciting. Uh, thrilling something to that fans can watch and get excited about so i think there is some pressure probably coming in suggesting that you play fast you play flashy and you know trying to appeal to an audience that's used to superstars and professional sports i think you know i have no way of knowing uh but that's if that's actually happening or a discussion or if it's perhaps even just a subconscious thing but i suspect that that may be something, you know, especially when you look at a team like San Diego or something, they play fast. They play, let's throw this thing around, let's make some beautiful passes and really uh, get some stuff going. And that opens you up to a lot of potential errors when you do that. So I I wonder, you know, because Gary Gold talks to the coaches all the time, and I don't think he's saying this, but I wonder if, because like we started to play wide open rugby under under Mitchell, right? And we we've, we've played wide open rugby under Gary so far, right? So what it do you think they're saying? Hey, like you know, for my Eagles guys, we're gonna play wide open. We're gonna play fast. We're gonna play big. So those are the kind of things that I need you to have in your game plan that facilitate me to select players because. You know, they talk about in New Zealand, you know, children learn to play the same way as the All Blacks growing up, which isn't really true, but there are certain things that are the complete same. They're probably, they probably learn 70% of what they need to learn, you know, before they're 10 years old for like to play like the All Blacks. Interesting. That's some beautiful consistency, that's for sure. Seriously. And talk about building a pipeline, I mean, straight up to the top there. Mm-hmm. That's a country of 5 million inhabitants, everyone. So, Less um, than the city of New York. Seriously. Seriously. All right. Yeah, round four, prediction time. So I wasn't here last week. I didn't get to weigh in on this, but uh, do you guys want to kind of share what uh, what you had? I continue to suck. Uh, so for Austin, I got demolished on this. Well, in general, I think everyone got demolished, but everyone else got it right. Uh, for Austin, I got wrecked. Uh, so I lost that one. Josh, what did you have? 
I had Utah minus three. Victor. Well, <laughs> I got Utah minus seven. So, so yeah, I, I was really far. Um, and then, you know, for Seattle, man, I I was so close, so freaking close. Uh, this was the only one I got right this weekend. I had Seattle over Nola by one point, and they won by two. So, two, hey, they won by two. Never mind. So oh, I yeah. was, I was the closest person. Well, actually, yeah. So Josh and I were the closest in our predictions, except it was a different game that he was closer to. So. Well, I had the score. I had the I had the scoreline right. I just had the wrong team. <laughs> <laughs> so I had Nola minus two. Yeah, Victor, what did you have? I was super far. I uh, I, I was trying to give Seattle the benefit of the doubt. And I said, ah, they're gonna be going to win by two to, to convert a try. So by fourteen, uh, so I could I could have not been farther from the actual score. So. And the final game of the week, I went bold, man. I, I got I got I took some shit for this one. It's like apparently I'm a San Diego Legion fan. If you haven't if no one no one knows. No one knows. Yeah, I'm, I'm a San Did Diego. you know that? No. <laughs> I'm just like a cynic and a critical MFer, so like I as I'll I'll go after people about scrummaging, I'll go after people I, I don't care. But I I just ha- was confident in Glendale wasn't playing the way I wanted them to play, and they weren't. They didn't, right? The way I want them to play is to beat everyone by at least ten. So um, and they beat they, they beat SD by fucking four. So uh, I had San Diego minus five. Yeah, Glendale minus three. I thought um, when Osley Dylan Osley put the Legion ahead twenty seven twenty four. I didn't think Glendale was going to get another try. I thought they were going to kick two more penalty kicks. Well, I also had Glendale uh, by five, so I was off by just by two points. So remember, uh, I guess when it comes to when it comes to fabric, you always want to cut more, but when it comes to cake, you want to cut less. Something like that. So uh, one doesn't have the other. But um, yeah. Moving on to round five. Let's see what we got. Only two games this week. Uh, make That's sure weird. you get your picks on Super Brew. You can search it. You're full of dirt. And, I, and then if you can't find it, uh, email us at earfulofdirt.com and I will send you the stuff. Earfulofdirt at gmail.com, please. So, so, yeah. Aaron, what's your picks for the weekend? Um, so, the buy has not been kind to any team. So I'm going to go NOLA minus three because it's their home game. They've got a Zydeco band, and um, Houston's coming off a of bye. So. I, I, have, I have a similar scoreline. I got NOLA minus three, but I think it's just because John Goodman brings them good luck. Well, guys, I have Houston by 10. So we'll see if they don't, they don't, you know, they don't keep me down, but let's say 10. 
Wow, it looks like we're splitting this right down the middle. I'm with Victor. I'm saying uh, Houston by seven. Uh, just because I don't know, I, I'm I'm worried that Nola might be uh, might be down for the count here after after last weekend. So we'll see what happens. Um. So moving on, let's get to transactions. Bryce Campbell has been signed oh, by the hey, London. Huh? Oh. Real quick, before we do that, do we want to talk about the hey. Utah Seattle game? I totally fucked that one up. So, Utah at Seattle. Who do you guys got? I got Seattle minus five. I got Seattle by 14. I, I, got, Se- I got Seattle by 13. Um. So, uh, yeah, I'm going Seattle minus seven. Uh, you know, offensively, they haven't scored a ton of stuff except for this weekend on their own. But I do not think Utah is going to have a fun time in the loudest stadium in, in the MLR. And, you know, it's the only stadium that's been sold out uh, consecutively. So they're sold out the rest of the season, which is dope. Uh, last, So they've, they added 100 seats like actual seats, so that got capacity to 3,600, and then they sold 190-ish standing room only. They're trying to get authorization for more standing room only tickets. I think they're trying to authorize 200 more standing room only tickets, which will get you close to 4,000. And the way the tickets are going, you'll probably get to 4,000 even. So that's pretty awesome. And I know you. I know you mentioned that Starfire can expand to seven. Are they looking into that? Uh, I think for next year. I think they're set now. I I think what they, the kind of planning that it took to get Starfire to seven k for Club National Sevens, you know that that was a that was a year process when it came to hey we want to have a big you know a good capacity, whereas I think they thought. Um, you know, 3,500 plus standing room only is going to be a good start. And they exceeded expectations. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they'll try to go all the way to 7K next year, but they might as well. They might as well see if it, see if they can get, you know, 6K every game. They might get 7K and they might have to go find a new venue. But uh, regarding uh... – See uh, the Seattle game. It does sound like we're in uh, the Utah Seattle game. It does sound like we're in agreement on that one. So all three, all four of us are saying that uh, Seattle are going to handle that one pretty well. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So, so. Tr- now, Aaron, I know, ready. I know you're excited. Go Bryce for it. Bryce Campbell has signed with the London Irish. He's the second Glendale Raptor to sign with a team in the RFU championship. Uh, so <laughs> cool for him. He doesn't get an off season. Uh, at the end of the Eagles tour and at the end of the MLR season, if Glendale is in the playoffs, he will have to fly directly to training camp with the London Irish. Good for him. Uh, Seattle Seawolves um, have brought on Cole Van Horn and Sequoia Burke Combs from the Seattle Saracens program. And then Mike Palafow, formerly of the Seawolves, who left to – um, take care of some family issues is now a Utah warrior. So um, he ended up playing a lot for Utah and he was a definite difference maker for them against Austin. Um, is there any 
um, tweet of the week? Did we find anything? Yes, we did. So, guys, I'm going to be taking over the tweet of the week portion of the show. Um, I don't think we have a mention already, but shout out to Dan. He's been busy this past couple of days, just to let you guys know. Um, but in, in any case, taking over Dan's Twitter of the week. I guess we might as well call this Dan's t- Twitter of the week. He's the one who came up with the idea. So it's only fair that he has his name whenever he's not here. So our Twitter of the week, guys, for this week is coming from a gentleman named David Simpson, uh, who is attached to the Northampton Saints up in the UK. So he had a really cool tweet <laughs> about um, MLR games, and I quote, seeing at USMLR ads on TV in the US. Actual goosebumps. Hashtag rugby. I don't know if he got goosebumps because he saw ads rugby of the US and he wasn't used to it. I don't know if it was those are good goosebumps or bad goosebumps because of it. I'm not really sure, but in any case, he actually got goosebumps by looking at ads. And yeah, that's the of the week. Very yeah, short. So moving on to views, news, and abuse. Uh, Corey, you found this one. So this was really, this is cool. This is interesting. Um, yeah, this was a lucky find tonight because I don't think this news is supposed to come out till tomorrow. Uh, so it appears that tomorrow uh, it will be announced that Washington, D.C. is getting a MLR team in 2020. So that's season three. According to a yet-to-be-released press release that is up on the internet for no apparent reason, uh, two guys over there in the D.C. area, uh, Paul Sheehy and Chris Dunlavi, uh, have secured the rights to the yet-unnamed team. Uh, Additionally, they hope to uh, start offering... start accepting season ticket deposits uh, in conjunction with the June 2 Wales-South uh, Africa match to be held in D.C. So I think they were trying to leverage the excitement of that international match to really uh, push push uh, this new home team coming into D.C. in a couple of years. Uh, some of the other tidbits from the uh, press release, uh, they claim that as of now, 12,000 tickets have been sold to the uh, Wales-South Africa game, uh, which is good. That's actually fantastic. Um, additionally, uh, it's... Uh, lost my train of thought. So additionally, that sounds like a really good opportunity uh, to have a kind of a captured audience, especially if they can somehow uh, tie that into the match itself. So... so- Getting into this one, this one's funny. You know how, you know how I've said every time James Kennedy has like a, you know, soundbite, he's always talking about DC, right? Like, and I, I couldn't find jack squat. So Corey finds this. Well, Paul Sheehy, when the New York Pro fourteen shit like stopped and before they expanded to pro 14 with South South Africa, all of a sudden there was an article that linked Paul Sheehy, a former USA Eagle and USA rugby donor, by the way, to a team that the pro 14 would expand to Washington, DC. So there's your link Two guys that the pro 14 was trying to get to buy an American franchise is now going to be an MLR owner. 
um, in 2020. So I guess that brings up the question, do they, do they cut and run if Pro 14 ever comes calling back? Well, I, I don't. I don't think Pro 14's ever coming back. That's what uh, you know. Uh, what they, what Pro 14 wants, and what MLR is going to do is going to provide something way different. Whereas I think if you came up with a, a singular team, uh, it, it doesn't do what we need it to do. Like having forty guys of forty of the best Americans in the pro 14 is great, but they're going to get demolished every week. And, you know, you're not looking, you don't want your Eagles pool to be 40 deep. You need your Eagles pool to be 300 deep, right? So MLR will do that. A team of the pro 14 uh, would have been great short term, but mm, there's no reason. I mean, you guys had your turn. You guys could have done it. Go away. That's my opinion. And it's been my opinion for the last year. So now let me ask you guys, do you think that having a US Pro 14 uh, team in Washington will be in similar standings as the Sun Wolves up in, in Super Rugby, for example? A, a team that um, has only won one game this whole season so far. Um well, I mean commercially or No 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 just in no no just in terms of the team actually winning games because I'm not going to say they always get blown up because actually it's funny. The souls lose, but you're not, at least I don't get mad because they show a commitment to actually win, but they keep losing anyways. But I mean, they, they lose the, triumphantly. The issue, the issue I have, I mean, if they're competitive every game, you know, it's whatever. Of course. If I'm losing by three, by seven or less in every game, it's okay. I'm 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 eating it, right? It's just just what it is, right? Where but if you get blown out every game and you go undefeated that way and you're not competitive, it's completely different. Because at some point, losing becomes what you do, right? Exactly. So that's exactly right. And and the team again has been losing quite a number of games. <laughs> Since they entered the competition in 2016. So that's so, a, so yeah. um, Moving on to finish up the news. Houston hosted their first skills camp. They had 84 young athletes out on Saturday. Uh, hosted it with the uh, West Houston Lions. The Sabercats U19s were in Austin for a round robin against Central and North U19s. Uh, Gary Gold had announced his squad for June last week, but Callum Black has already backed out. Um, maybe he's um, worried about his coffee business. Um, former Huns coach Eugene Eloff has been banned by Safe Sport uh, USA for 10 years. Uh, his sanctions carry over to Saru, so he ain't coaching anytime soon. Um, so, yeah. Thanks for nothing. Uh, Dean Howes was at the Rugby Americas meetings in Miami, sitting between Dan Payne and Augustin Gaspichot. And then tonight, wrapping up our news notes and abuse. Dang, we did get abused. We left the abuse out. Uh, the Giants hosted Rugby Night tonight, had a floating rugby barge in McCovey Cove. 
Danny Barrett, Blaine Scully, Natalie Marquino, Todd Clever, Tony Ridnell, Dan Lyle uh, are all there um, to, and the Sevens World Cup trophies are there as well to promote, um, you know, rugby night. They had, I think, 14,000 SF Giants rugby balls that they handed out tonight. So that's cool. Growing the game, man. That's awesome. Okay, well, we guys, uh, we ready to do some questions? Yeah. All right. Questions from Bob. Shout out to Bob, as always, Bob B. Boberson, for uh, sending in some great questions, as well as being our namesake for this segment. So tonight, Bob wants to know, uh, we've all been uh, saying that, that a professional competition will help the men's national team improve. Will that translate to more wins in the next World Cup or just a better score lines? If so, how many wins? And what about the World Cup after that? So that'd be 2023. Um, so I think this is going to get us one, um, Tonga, and then, uh, we're going to have a coin flip, whether that's France or Argentina, I don't know. Um, but I think we're going to, I think we've got a chance to go three and one or two and two, but two and two would be based on us killing it. In June and in the autumn and MLR next season, just crushing it. And uh, staying healthy, too. I think uh, physical fitness and just not getting injured helps. That's exactly right. But I'll, I'll tell you this right now, guys. So for 2019, I definitely agree with Aaron. The Tonga game has to be priority, obviously. Between Argentina and France, right now, Probably France more so than Argentina. They're, uh, Argentina is also quite inconsistent, but France is getting way more inconsistent than them. So I will push for that match, at least in my opinion. And in England, I see it as if, well, if they win, I'll be really surprised. But I really downfall 2018, baby. Downfall 2018. <laughs> Hashtag downfall 2019. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, by the way, guys, for those of you that are not in the know, that's a whole thing that happened with England losing three games in a row in the Six Nations, and um, they ended up fifth, a, a team that won the year prior. So people were saying the downfall 2019, and that Eddie Jones, the coach, is going downhill with it. So I don't know, but uh, but yeah, but I would definitely would like to see USA pulling at Japan. If you don't know what it is, pulling Japan is beating a team that's way higher than you, like Japan did over South Africa. But that would be great if USA could do that. We need that scout, boys. Let's see. Uh, let's see him coming. All right. Next question from Bob: Which scrum half would win in an American Gladiator, American Ninja Warrior wipeout style game show? Um. Actually, you know, I'm going Nick Boyer because he's the biggest scrum half of all. I mean, if we're going American Gladiators, yeah. But if we're going the other two, I'm going to say Holden Younger or um, Osberger. No, I'd go with Houston's. Oh yeah, Toads, Toads, baby. Yeah, Connor Murphy. Yeah, he's he's got a he's got a mean streak too. But yeah, if we're going Ninja, I guess we're going Wipeout. 
uh, Holden Younger Toads would be my top two. They got scrappy together. So, by the way, I like the face that you made, Aaron, when I said Osberger's like, excuse me? <laughs> that face was great. I don't know. Augsburger just seems like a really nice person. I don't know. Well, I mean, in the field might be something else. You never know. Oh, yeah, in the field he's different, but I, yeah, I don't know. You never know. Maybe right I, there. I, think there was, I think there was one. <laughs> there was a game, um, not this ARC, but last ARC, where he definitely got himself into a fight that brought the front row in. And I was like, <laughs> that's what Scrum has to do. They get into fights, so I thought that was Sean Davies. Uh, Sean Davies got into a fight this ARC. Uh, did he? I don't remember that. Yeah, it was against Uruguay. Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> You're right. He is not afraid to mix things up. Seriously, dang it! By the way, it's, speaking of, of fighting, dude, holding younger. My goodness, that kid! Like for any anything, he's like on top of players, and when <laughs> I, I don't man. My oh, goodness, that kid, play, that, that kid like to, likes to fight. God dang it. I, I mean, I think he's I think he's fine. Um, nah. he, if he was doing something extracurricular, he would have already been sent off. All I'm that, is about that. that is true. Um, okay, next question. Next question. Uh, Milk State Connoisseur wants to know, um, and I've paraphrased this because it was a long freaking question, man. Uh, Regarding internationals playing in the MLR, which team stands to lose the most uh, from the June test matches? Um, so uh, the most is San Diego. They have seven. And then... Uh, so you're talking Eagles. I'm talking internationals. Internationals playing in MLR. Oh, let me... Let me... Um, let me... I apologize for that. I'm to me. Uh, my first thought is uh, Seattle uh, having a strong contingent from uh, the Canadian team. I, I think that's one area that they're going to uh, be struggling so, to fill some holes. All right. So Seattle, Seattle is tied with because of what I got. I got a nice little list sent to me. Seattle has seven internationals going. Uh, six Canadians and one American. And then San Diego has six Eagle players going. And then, of course, Glendale. So, yeah, Seattle's going to – it's going to be interesting for them for sure, I think. Uh, but so there you go, right? Um, everyone else really isn't affected. Uh, just Seattle, Glendale, and uh, San Diego. Everyone else is like one or two. Uh, Milksteak mentioned uh, Utah uh, specifically with uh, all the Islanders playing for them if they would head back to their respective nations. Because none of them are internationals anyway. Yeah, well, no. Um, I mean, inter- I think they're uh, regular internationals right now because, I mean, you still got Morath and, and Vanikola, but I don't play so for Franca anymore. Uh, Morath, Vanikola, and Afu, I mean, yeah, they're older. I don't think they're form call-ups right now. I mean, able to set the tone in, you know, in the MLR for, uh, you know, four or five years. But right now they haven't been called up in a while. So. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So uh, the last question of the evening is also from Milk Steak. Uh, he would like to know, 
I remember hearing that season two will likely be moved earlier in the calendar to avoid uh, some of the mid-year test window. But will it clash with the ARC and other spring tournaments? I think if there's 12 teams, it will clash with the ARC. Um, If there's not 12 teams, it won't. If it's 10 teams, I think you're fine. I think it. Uh, you'll have games the week after the ARC ends. Well, do we do we eventually see MLR evolving into something like the Premiership, where they still play while the Six Nations is still going on? So I think we we've discussed that before. I think it does. Like I think. For me, the I think the MLR season will start, you know, in February when this thing's finally set in stone. And, you know, there will be like 16, 20 teams and you aren't losing every eagle. You aren't losing. There won't be a team with seven eagles gone. And they'll have had a 10 years to build up the depth if like five eagles are gone. And they'll be able to play. Because look at the Saracens during the Six Nations, right? Uh, like, they played they – were, they were losing a bunch of games. And where did they find themselves? Because they built the depth over time. Top of the table. So, you know, they, people were talking about Saracens not finishing top four. Top of the table. Think about that. And they actually ended up um, second place um, because um, Exeter Chiefs got first. And they got table. a fucking bonus point? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, uh, as far as I know, Saracens got number two. Exeter is still number one. And after that, it's, it's Wasp and then Newcastle. Huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, they're still at the top of the table, so they finished in the exact same spot mm-hmm. they finished last year, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, so, you're right. Second. I mean, like, so... You know, by the time this happens, I think, you know, we'll have been going five, ten years. And, you know, teams will have had the opportunity to build the depth they need if they lose five Eagles. So. And something else, guys, that we're not really thinking about is um, this, if it happens, this whole global calendar thing that's supposed to kick off after the, the 2019 World Cup, that may also shake things up in terms of, uh, how MLR is going to fit in it within the global calendar, and it will be a lot easier for MLR to fit in, as opposed to these other leagues having around longer that are still trying to find out what they're going to do. So that's another thing too. Um, that's all I got. Likewise. So let's. Uh, well, let's take it home. Yeah. Sounds good. Well. Might as well do so right now, guys. Okay, so with that, everyone, uh, that will be episode 36 of the Earful of Dirt Rugby, Major League Rugby podcast, excuse me. Um, well, thank you for joining us, guys. Uh, and for those of you that are listening to the podcast form, in case you want to hear this live and you want to hear all the technical difficulties that I have for tonight, and you have to excuse me for that, make sure to go on our YouTube page, Earful Dirt podcast, to... Uh, subscribe and of course listen to our live streams every Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific time. Also check our uh, website, earfoldirt.com, our social media accounts uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of them at Earful of Dirt. Of course, make sure to and of course if you're listening to this in podcast form, you probably already subscribed to us either on iTunes, 
Acast, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, or um, SoundCloud, and make sure to leave us a review in either one. Of course, we'll we have said iTunes overall, but if you want to put in the other ones, that's not a problem. And finally, make sure to call us on our phone number and leave us a voicemail. The voice, uh, excuse me, the phone number is one seven two zero six hundred two six seven nine. Again, one seven two zero six hundred two six seven nine. And with all that said, everyone, we have come to an end of another great episode of the Earful of the Rugby Podcast. Uh, my name again, Victor, and my co-host, of course, Aaron, Josh, and Corey. And we will see you all. Next week, you take Adios. care. Adios. Connect with Earful of Dirt anytime. We're on Facebook and Twitter as Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. Until next time, for Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for joining us.